Well, welcome to Pulmonology Consultants. I'm Jaspal Singh, Medical Director of Pulmonary Oncology at Atrium Health. Today, I have a great panel talking about robotic bronchoscopy, which is an interesting and innovative technology in the space of pulmonary medicine. With me today are Drs. Gus Combo, Drs. Kyle Hogarth, and Dr. Michael Pritchett. We have a number of questions to go. So first, I'm going to go with you, Dr. Combo. Tell us a little bit about robotics and sort of why you went into robotics and what is the gain? Why should pulmonologists pay attention to this technology? Thank you for that, Jaspal, and thank you for the invite in order to engage in this topic that lives close to my heart. The answer is very simple. There was an area of my interest, as I am a thoracic oncologist, my interest is in lung cancer, lung nodules, and I saw a significant unmet need in some areas of the lung that the existing technologies were not able to reach. And I was able to share the vision of some of my colleagues that if we were to be able to find a way to get to difficult to reach lesions, then a whole wide array of opportunities would present in order to, in the future, perform therapeutic interventions in the aims of we go from diagnosis to treatment in hopefully one setting, allow for faster access and turnaround of patient care. Robotic platforms give me that opportunity of reaching pretty much any lesion that I wanted to, provide me the stability of doing such, a lot of control, and at the end of the day, uh, do it uh, safely and expeditiously for patients. Well, that's great. That's really exciting, Dr. Combo. So thank you for that information. Um, Dr. Pritchett, you use a, a little different platform than Dr. Combo does. And so what have you learned so far about the applications? And do you sort of share that same vision or do you have a little different take on that? Be curious about your thoughts. Yeah, thanks, Jasper. Uh, I, you know, I agree with Gus. I think that you're going to see a lot of commonality between the answers of all three of us here. We can't overlook the one obvious thing, which is we like doing cool new stuff. And we know that this is version one of the robots. Version two is going to get even better, but it does offer significant advantages. And we're also dedicated to being able to biopsy anything in the lung. You know, Dr. Hogarth used this this phrase before that he wants to own the lung. And I really feel like with the robotic platforms that we can do that. And yes, we work with different robotic platforms, but I think we're both able to do some pretty amazing things and things that we couldn't necessarily do before. And we like being very early in the process and giving our feedback uh, and helping these companies make these things better. So, you know, at this point, when you're talking about getting into robotics, we can get into minutiae about the different factors, but we really want to talk as a whole about what robotics brings to the table. And the bottom line is that the diagnostic yield with bronchoscopy by itself was not good enough and we need something better. Now, that sounds wonderful. I mean, that sounds really exciting. So in regards to this, take me back a little bit. Um, I'm a pulmonologist. I do general pulmonary medicine, but I also do, you know, some of the thoracic oncology work that you all do in regards to lung nodules. In my bronchoscopy suite, I have an array of different scopes from different smaller scope, ultra thin bronchoscopes now to therapeutic scopes to EBA scopes. Tell me about like sort of where does this fit into the armamentarium and what happens to some of that other stuff that kind of goes along? Where does the general pulmonologist fit into this stuff? And Dr. Hogarth, I'd be curious about how your thoughts are related to how to grab, get a hold of this technology and how to think about it. Right. Well, I, you know, what you highlighted there, Joshua, some of that's been the natural evolution of bronchoscopy. So when I had my first bronchoscopy suite ever, I had three instruments in one scope. 
you know, that's obviously expanded a little bit there as the field has expanded. So I think when you're talking about like the various devices and, and processes that we have, so obviously the advent of EBIS has changed the media steinum. So that's a whole different discussion. And, and we're talking obviously about peripheral bronchoscopy today and, and the role that robotics would play in that. But I guess what I would always say is that the best tool for the periphery in the lung is the one that you feel the most comfortable with. And it is worth trying many of the ones that are available out before you purchase. And I, and it's important because look, you know, there are some people who swear by, you know, one certain technology versus another, but that might be their bias of how their brain is wired and why they like that one, you know, versus another, but you might be different. You also might have different financial restraints and constraints, et cetera. I think a couple things to remember. So I do a lot of bronchoscopy. I am not an interventional pulmonologist. I did not do an interventional pulmonary fellowship. I do not do rigid bronchoscopy. I do, however, bronch all the time and do very little sort of, quote, general pulmonary. Um, but the beauty, I think, of these peripheral procedures is that they are, relatively speaking, not that difficult to learn if you apply yourself, if you spend the time and the effort. I think advantage that the robotic platforms and robotics in general offer here is that the learning curve appears to be less steep other than obviously kind of set up and that the extra abilities that you get from the robotic platforms in regards to stability and accuracy change your approach to the periphery and i think that's you know the the, the real advantage here and you know there must be some amount of a push because i already know of two other devices that are robotically platform-based that are in early development. So this is going to get to be a crowded field as it moves forward. But, you know, bronchoscopy, we have wonderfully evolved. We have more equipment and more tools to go down all of that equipment. Just like if you looked at the first cardiology lab back in the mid-80s to now, right? There's a natural evolution. And thankfully, pulmonary and bronchoscopy in general, we're on that wave, if you will. Thank you for that, Dr. Hogarth. That's a great segue. The three of you I look at as early adopters and innovators in this space. And so all three of you have been adopting this technology, helping to refine the technology of the first couple of systems out there. And you've learned a lot. And I was kind of curious as to, you mentioned technologies will continue to evolve. Is it worth, if you're in my position, for example, I work for a large health system and we are actively looking to acquire a system would you recommend we wait because of other technologies that are coming down the pipeline, new entrants in the space, or what is your general recommendation of what you've learned so far? And we'll start with Dr. Fumbo. Thank you. That's a very interesting question. I think that that has to be with the direction that each pulmonologist wants to take in their own thoracic oncology program. In my case, we have a large unmet need and a lot of procedures that have been referred as a repeat procedure, um, oftentimes there's a transthoracic needle, and then we do an EBUS. I think that we should find the best platform that consolidates and allows access for expeditious workups and hopefully in the future treatment. To me, to be an early implementer of this technology was a challenge. There were significant barriers financially and uh, logistically, and to some degree, the lack of evidence to, you know, sustain and make the argument for a system to make a large capital investment. I think that if we have the vision that we want to push the boundaries of the ways that we have been doing things to the ways that we should be doing things, then with some executive and administrative buy-in 
uh, this dream of taking a step in the right direction can come to fruition. There's some hesitancy from doctors to jump on something that has to be retrained. We all train in traditional bronchoscopy. We all had a lot of experience in handling the regular fiber optic scope. But at the end of the day, we cannot keep on doing things the same way for 20 years. And I think that this breakthrough technology will undoubtedly empower us as pulmonologists to really take that leap of faith and dive into the depths of the lung. It's really what you find whenever you get past that third or fourth generation bronchus, uh, bronchi, and whenever you start thinking about other technologies that you can use to complement the robot, whether it be Combeam CT or other peripheral tools, really the sky's the limit. So it's essentially buying in a vision of doing things better and learning how to improve the ways, better the ways than the traditional gestalt is uh, indicating in this day and age. So Jasper, to answer that also, anytime you buy a new technology, you know, you're going to buy the iPhone, whatever, you know that the new one's going to come out a year later and then the, the year after that and the year after you know, So it is very similar to computers and iPhones and whatever. If you just keep waiting, you'll never purchase anything and the technology will keep advancing. But the other nice thing, I suppose, is that the robotic platforms, the two that are currently on the market, obviously the, there is the hardware in the sense of the robotic technology, but what powers obviously both of them extensively clearly is software. And software can continuously be updated. And in fact, there already have been updates. And so, you know, the other nice thing, I suppose, is that you're not buying V1, if you will, and then two years later, it's going to be completely different. There will be iterations throughout the time until there is obviously large sort of hardware advances. And so you're not buying outdated technology even when you decide to make that purchase because the technology updates, the software updates will continue on um, until I'm sure between those two companies and anything else coming down the pipeline that they represent sort of large jumps forward. Well, thank you both for that. And I'm going to ask Dr. Pritchett to either comment on that or also I think Dr. Hogarth, you got a nice segue to the other question I had is what does the future in this space look like? And Dr. Pritchett, just curious about your thoughts. Yeah, so I think it's a great question. It's a question that, a, you know, a ton of hospital systems and pulmonologists are asking right now. Things are tight financially with, you know, COVID crisis and things like that. But the bottom line is that I think now is really the time to get in. Um, these companies have proven track records. You want to work with a company that has a proven track record that's going to continue to innovate and continue to advance. Don't let anybody fool you. Both these companies are already working on their second and third versions, you know, back in their labs and making improvements based on this. I think if there was hesitancy when to pull the trigger, it would have been at the very beginning. And I shared that hesitancy, like I haven't seen any data. I don't have any friends that have this. I can't go watch anybody do these procedures. Um, so I would be real hesitant. But now there's thousands of cases done with Oris, hundreds of cases done with ION. You've been to my site, you've seen robotic bronchoscopy yourself. So the worry goes away in that thing. So it's kind of like, you know, the adage of like, if you wait until you're ready to have kids, you'll never have kids. You just need to jump out there and do it and get moving. As far as what's coming next, I think you're going to see the technologies get better. The one thing that's clearly missing with robotics is you don't have real-time fluoroscopic or radiographic confirmation of where you're at outside of radial probe. So 
even though we use fancy terms like shape sensing and optical recognition of airways and things like that, like both of the companies do, we still are lacking something in terms of CT to body divergence. All these technologies are based on the pre-op CT that you did, and we know that there's divergence. So what we'd like to see is integration, whether it's with cone beam or tomosynthesis-based correction, like fluoroscopic navigation is doing. And so when you harness the radiographic ability to find out exactly where you're at and then combine that with your robotic precision and movements, then that's the game changer. And I think that's what's coming next, along with lots of different software upgrades, as Kyle mentioned. I agree with our colleagues here, I envision a future in which we will allow patient access and some of these platforms may be also working on some innovation. The future is bright. The application of these are endless. I echo Michael, there's never a right time. It's a really powerful tool that should not be feared. It should be adopted and it should be learned. And again, it will, it's a tool of empowerment for us pulmonologists. Chesel, let's also not forget there's some really powerful non-robotic tools that have come out just recently and are more in development that I think will make us better endoscopists. And the potential integration of those technologies into robotic platforms, I think, offers a lot of potential appeal. Now, there's a lot of ifs in all of that, but I think that's where the excitement also grows because as this space has continued to grow and as the number of CT scans and the need for lung nodule diagnostics has continued to grow, then that is obviously a potential market, and that is then where a lot of research and R&D money has been going. And so the other nice benefit to being in this space for all of us is the knowledge that this space will continue to grow and to develop because it's a viable space for people to invest in. You guys have all provided a really nice overview of the robotic technologies, what your perception is, how you use them, how you kind of came to adopt and invest in these processes. And you all three have mastered these processes to the point at which they are to date. We've discussed some of the future applications potentially coming out and additional sort of innovation in the space. I'm going to change it a little bit now. A couple of you use one platform. One of you uses Aorus. One of you uses the Intuitive. And not to sort of put one against the other, but what do you see are advantages unique to your specific platform, if you don't mind, for our listeners? We'll start with Dr. Pritchett. So with the Intuitive robot, again, I think that we're going to talk about differences, and you're going to hear some marketing stuff, and you're going to hear some real stuff. What we don't know yet is how much of a difference that actually makes. That's going to be studies that come along, but I will still tell you the differences, but recognize that you have to kind of take some of these with a grain of salt. So the intuitive has a smaller catheter that in theory can reach out further with less resistance, and it has a removable camera. So you have vision when you need it, and then when you're ready to biopsy, you pull the camera out, kind of like you do with radial probes. So it's a thinner 3.5 millimeter outer diameter. The other advantage is that it's not tied to electromagnetic navigation. And again, this is version one of these things. My guess is these things are going to go away. But it has a novel navigation system called shape sensing technology that uses an optical fiber to know where it's at. The footprint of the system is very nice. Uh, it integrates very well with cone beam and doesn't have to be at one place and can be moved all around. It has its own proprietary needles that are flexible that come with it, and they kind of lock on. It's like an EBIS needle, which is really cool because the software allows you to know how far you are from the pleura, so then you can set your needle depth to how far you want it. So, again, there's some cool software things that are in this, but that's some of the advantages, if you will, uh, of possibly being on a platform. 
I'll echo what Mike said in the sense that I think what I said at the very beginning, there's, there's pros and cons to all technologies, not even just the robotics. And in some cases, it's going to be what your hospital is going to purchase you. And in some cases, it's going to be what feels better to you. So same as Mike, you know, we're waiting for data and we all have our own biases. Probably, the, I guess, one of the key differences to the Oris platform from what Mike said, it's a sheath and scope design. So you actually have two devices that you can essentially drive using the wand as essentially an ability to retract on airways to pull lesions into a better line of view. And then you also have always on vision so that the entire time you're seeing when you're scoping. Now, whether that matters, you know, medically versus people who are using it will tell you it's great to be able to see because it just sort of feels like a bronchoscopy, you know, at all times. But Mike's right. I don't know if that matters one way or the other. You know, Gus and I both have the Monarch, so we're, we're biased from that. I'm a consultant for Oris, so I'm doubly biased, I suppose. I think Mike's a consultant for Ion, and, and Gus is a consultant for Oris as well. So we're all biased, inherently, I suppose. But um, And then some of the things, you know, you can use the Monarch with Comeme as well. Gus actually is the leading Monarch Comeme user in, in the country. But I think, you know, as I've said before to people who've called to ask me my opinions on one versus the other, and, you know, they're not sure if they're, what they're going to get. And sometimes there's multiple issues at play. My answer is I, my, my definitive bias is, is if you're going to get a new system, I think the robot is the route to go. And then which one is, I think, you, you know, there'll be plenty of people that will market to you one way or the other and show you data and whatnot. And I think after you play with both, you can make up your own mind as to which one's better. I suppose one other potential thing that's of interest when we talk about health systems and money is that the Monarch system will be submitted for approval for urology applications in the very beginning of 2021. And so there is the potential that that device is going to get utilized not just by a pulmonologist once or twice a week on nodule day, but also used once or twice a week by urology. And so more potential use out of the capital purchase. Now, it's got to get FDA approval for that. So there's a double if in there, but there is that other potential lure of uh, one platform over another that has nothing to do with us in bronchoscopy, but has everything to do with your discussions with the C-suite. <laughs> Absolutely. Again, I think that there's value on both platforms. I think that the tool is only as good as the operator that is wielding such power. To me, when I had to make the decision to implement robotic bronchoscopy, there was literally no evidence behind it other than some cadaveric studies. And what I decided is that I had to, like I do with my shoes, I don't buy it through catalog. I go and I try it on and I walk it a little bit. So I tried the platforms. I figured out which one was the one that fit better my needs. And uh, I am extremely pleased with the results that I had with my platform. I don't doubt that potentially if I cross-platform and and I, in the new iterations of Ion, there may be benefits. I don't doubt that at all. I guess that for me, it fit well. I knew that I was able to get as far as I wanted to. I knew that I could use my tools under direct visualization to maybe, you know, intubate uh, an eighth generation bronchus. I push a little bit, maybe the radial probe. I kind of like stent open and I get my two millimeter scope through 2.1. And, and to me, to be able to see all the way and maybe even dissect a little bit the wall or maybe get the scope perpendicular to a bronchus to cross country two centimeters and know that the needle went exactly where I needed to go. To me, that's an advantage strategically and practically that I, I'm not willing to forego. So all in all, I think that the, the platform that gets the job done in pulmonology's hands is the right one. I think that there are cons and pros of both. 
But to me, not losing sight and be able to know exactly where my instrument is going in the absence of access to real time as a cone beam CT, I think that for me, that's by far the, the thing that I like the most about the platform that I adopted. You know, Jasper, there's other C-suite considerations as well. I mean, and Mike maybe alluded to this too, that when we talked about the potential for the Monarch across uses, but let's not forget, Intuitive obviously has a large presence in the surgical robotic location. And so depending on the hospital's affiliation with Intuitive, there may be financial incentives to be with, working with the ION as well, based off of just that collaborative nature. Well, thanks, guys, so much for your thoughts on robotic bronchoscopy. I think you've given our listeners a lot to think about. I think all three of you bring such great innovation and ideas and experience to this very cool space in which our pulmonary teams can really think about how to improve patient care. On behalf of Pulmonology Consultants, Consultants 360, I'd like to thank you all for your time and your efforts, and uh, look forward to hearing more about how you're learning to do robotic bronchoscopy in the future. Thank you so much.